Welcome to the Freedom House Church Weekend Message. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from a communicator on our teaching team. Whether you're just waking up, on your way to work, or going for a relaxing evening walk, we know this message will equip you to experience Christ's freedom today and every day. So enjoy. Hello, Happy New Year, everybody. Good to see you. Just give me a big yell. Wherever you're sitting, just yell at me. All right, thanks for not yelling. That wasn't much of a yell. Y'all whistling and stuff. Hey, Doug, don't whistle at me. My wife's right here, man. Hey, my name is Michael Singer, and I'm the service pastor here at our Lake Norman campus, Uh, also part of our teaching team. You heard Pastor Olin mention being a part of the teaching team. All that means is that we have live communicators, so at every campus we have someone there speaking. So if you ever show up at Lake Norman, you never know who you're going to get. Uh, but I like the fact that it's live. I appreciate our senior pastors, you know, choosing that route to go. Uh, and I know that looking into this next year, God's been speaking to them, and so they're going to be sharing uh, just what is next for us with Freedom House and looking at this year. So let's give it up for our senior pastors for all the hard work and just them listening to God and just be, being visionaries that they are. They're extremely great visionaries, and that's, that's why I love them. Uh, I'm not the greatest when it comes to visionary stuff, uh, when it comes to a new year, and I'm just one of those uh, resolutions, that just stuff that's going to fail for everybody anyway. And some people do vision boards. I should probably do a vision board, but I don't do that. So I love coming alongside people that are visionaries. Uh, y'all probably like, this guy doesn't do anything, does he? Does he ever think? <laughs> Uh, I do. I mean, I do look forward to things. Uh, but anyway, before we get into this message today, I just want to remind you of a couple of things. Uh, with our Freedom House app, you can take notes, and I particularly love that because I can always find my phone and go back to those notes. When I used to write on paper, I would love to have this great ideal dream of having that paper and going back and looking at it, and I never did, and I would lose it, but now it's on my phone. So when Pastor Olin says something that changes my life, I can go back and say, oh, Pastor Olin's so smart and wise. I just need to be more like him, and I can see it in my notes. The other thing, men, where you at? Give me a bark or something. <laughs> Yell, men, in here, y'all, men. All right, men, this Saturday, I'm looking at all of you right here right now. I want to look at you Saturday, 8 o'clock. Be right here. Be here Saturday, and I want to see you. Men, we get to know each other by just hanging out. We don't need to do a lot of talking. 
If we're just sitting by each other, playing a game, it doesn't matter. Women don't understand it. We can go on a trip and not say more than 10 words, and we come back best friends. That's just how we're wired. We love that side-by-side -side interaction. We don't need to look at each other, and we can have some of the deepest conversations without even looking at each other's eyes, and it'll just life-changing. So, men, come hang out, man. You'll get to know people that you otherwise wouldn't get to know on a Sunday. Uh, I'm a big fan of doing something outside of Sunday if you really want to get to know people. That's how I get to know people. That's how I see other people get to know people. So, men, show up 8 o'clock right here. We're going to have a lot of fun. All right, let's get into this series. We're in a new series. As a church, we typically every month will we'll kick off a new series. And this one's called Redo, as you probably saw from the bumper that played before I came up here. This series is really about looking at our past. And sometimes when we look at our past, even yesterday, sometimes that can be a stumbling block. It could be something that we want to ignore. It just weighs us down. Maybe we look way back into our past and there are things that hurt. And they just hold us back. This series is about how in the world do we allow our past not to be the stumbling block, but to be something we can build on, something that we can step up on and move forward in life. When I was in middle school, there was a young man by the name of Johnny Stone. Johnny Stone happened to be one of the kids that got picked on in school. I, as someone who had a relationship with God, called myself a Christian, I felt really good about myself that I did not pick on Johnny Stone. But do you know what I look back on and wish I had done differently? I wish instead of just stopping it not picking on Johnny Stone, I wish I would have taken the time to befriend and get to know Johnny. I wish I would have given him time and let him know that, hey man, I know everybody else treats you like you're not important, but I'm going to treat you like you are important. Now, I could look at that, and when that comes up in my life, I could just go, oh, woe is me. I'm just horrible, wretched, terrible sinner. I'm horrible, God. I was so cruel, so bad. I thought I was somebody, but I was nothing. I could just sit and allow that to be a stumbling block. Or I can do like I do with that. I look at that and I go, you know what, Michael? Now you have an opportunity to change that. What do your relationships look like today? Are you going to the people that are maybe on the fringes and talking to them? Are you only being around people that look like you, think like you, and make you feel comfortable? That's the challenge. That's how we look at our past and allow ourselves to build off of that instead of just continuing to allow it to be a stumbling block. There's a group of people in the Old Testament we're going to look at today. They're called the Israelites. These are God's chosen people. These are the people that God said, hey, these, I want to have a relationship with you. And they said, okay. They had this relationship with God. And we come to Deuteronomy, and Moses, their leader, is talking to them, and God has promised them this promised land. And Moses is going to describe this promised land, and I want us to hear how lush and great this promised land is. If a little drool falls out your mouth while I'm reading this, then you are in the moment. Be in the moment. Deuteronomy 8, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verses 7 through 9. Moses explains the land, and he says, For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land of flowing streams and pools of water with fountains and springs that gush out in the valleys and the hills. It's a proverbial water park. This is like Carowinds Water Park on steroids. It is a land of wheat and barley, of grapevines, fig trees, and pomegranates, of olive oil. If you don't like any of that stuff, then it's a land of chocolate cake and chicken and whatever you like. Just put, your, put it in there for you olive oil and honey. It is a land where food is plentiful. Nothing is lacking. It is a land where iron is as common as stone and copper. It's abundant in all the hills. Just go get copper whenever you want it. It's a beautiful picture. 
This is what makes this picture even more beautiful. We have to understand what's going on with the children of Israel. They've been wandering in a desert for 40 years. Don't raise your hand. But I would bet a couple of my paychecks that most of us have not had to wait for something for 40 years. I have a hard time if it's four minutes in the, in the line at the, at the restaurant. I'm like begging and crying, where's my food? Can we make this process happen quicker? 40 years, not only 40 years, but 40 years wandering in a desert. Scorpions, snakes, all this kind of stuff. There were times they didn't have water for three days. There were times they didn't have food. So imagine them. They are in a moment where they've wandered, they've struggled, there hasn't been abundance, and now they're being promised this new land where there's going to be this abundance. I feel like that's us as we walk through life. I feel like for most of us, when we come into a new year, whatever new year it is, whether we're a person that's like, I'm going to tackle this year, and we're like setting out goals, and we have 45 things we're going to do, or we're just somebody maybe more like me that's like, you know what? There's some things I need to work on this year. I need to, I need to work on this and maybe do this better. I need to maybe shift or change this. But we're standing on the edge of what was in our past, what was yesterday, the day before, what was 10 years ago. And a lot of us potentially going into 2021, we talk about, and maybe this is a real magnitude of this moment for us. Maybe we feel like we're the Israelites that 2020 was rough and we just want something different. I don't care what it is, just something different. And I feel like we have moments like that. Whether it's 20 or 21, 2022, six years ago, or it's next week. We're going to have something that is a past. It might have been this morning. It might have been yesterday. It might have been seven years ago. Whatever it is, we have a past that is pulling us and wanting to keep us back. And we've got to figure out how in the world do I use that to build? How do I look back at last year and actually learn and glean something so that I can walk into something that is better just like Moses was saying, Israelites, you're about to experience something better. But he didn't just say, there's something better. Go get it. No. He spent most of Deuteronomy repeating something in different ways, this principle, over and over and over and over and over and over. Michael, stop saying over and over again. To the point where, I don't know if you've been in those situations where you're like, will you just stop beating that horse? I'm tired of hearing you saying it. If you've ever been a kid or you have kids, kids are sitting there going, oh my gosh, we got to hear this again. I can imagine the Israelites are going, oh my gosh, we got to hear this again. But let's get a picture of what Deuteronomy is all about before we dive in to how in the world do we move from our past to our present and actually create something that will help us for our future. So Moses is talking to the children of Israel. Now, the adults he is talking to at this point, they were kids when they were set free from captivity in Egypt. They've been in the desert 40 years. All the people who were old at that time have died off. Now, all the adults were the kids that started this journey 40 years ago. So, Moses is being very strategic, and he's taking his time to remind them over and over again, hey, you need to make sure that you follow God. God has a way for you. He's the one God. All these other gods are not your gods. There's one God, but he has this, these guidelines and these boundaries for you. And listen, children of Israel, before you go into this promised land, you've got to decide, are you going to follow those guidelines or not? And if you do, 
there's some benefit of that that will help you in the promised land, but ultimately it's your choice. And so he repeats to them over and over again about following these guidelines and the importance of obeying God's word. I'm going to read two scripture verses. This is two of about 2,000 in Deuteronomy that reiterate this point of them following God's commands, his word, his guidelines. Deuteronomy 5, 32 through 33. So be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or to the left. Walk in obedience to all that the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. If we walk in that obedience, then we will prosper. We will walk in that land for many days. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5, he says something that might be a little more familiar to us. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He's reiterating God. There's only one God. And then he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. This might be familiar to us because in Mark chapter 12, sorry, pointing to Freddie, we do a men's Bible study every Wednesday morning, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, show up right here. Freddie leads at 7 o'clock. We talked about this recently. Mark 12, Jesus actually quotes this scripture. A guy comes up to him and says, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, the Lord your God is one God. Hear that, O Israel. Love the, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. He adds your mind and your strength. In other words, Moses is letting the people know that, hey, there's this great future for you, but I'm going to remind you of all the past, not so that it hinders you, so that it becomes a building block. Because you were, there were moments in the past where you did not follow what God called you to do, and you saw where that got you. So it's very important that you continue to follow what God has as you enter this new land because that is going to be the one principle that helps you. In other words, are you willing to give God position in your life? Are you willing to put him first? Are you willing to put him in the place he desires so that when you walk into this new land, you can actually experience the greatness that God intends for us to experience in it? There's a statement I want to make that I hope you leave here with, kind of a mantra statement. I'm going to hopefully say it throughout this message a lot, and I hopefully I'll irritate you I'll say it so much. The statement is this. Our past becomes a present when God has position. Our past becomes a present when God has position. What I mean by that is that if we want our past to actually be something like a gift that we open up that's beneficial, then we have to give God position. Our past becomes actually something worthwhile, a present, whenever we give God position in the way that we go about our life. I believe the, the area that we wrestle the most with this principle of allowing God to have position in our life is actually in a place that Moses reminds them where the wrestling is going to be. And that place is our heart. Here's what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 2. It says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. He's talking about the past. He did this to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. We have to wrestle in our heart. What goes on in our heart, what place we give God in our heart, will determine what our past becomes. If it truly is going to become a gift that we can use, that we can build on as we walk and take the next steps, or if we're not going to allow God in there and have his position in our heart, 
And our past continues to hold us back, continues to hold us in bondage, continues to cause hurt and pain, and we never step and move past that. We got to give him position, but there's some battles we have to face in our heart. I'm not here to say these are all the battles that you're going to face and that I'm going to face, but I want to mention two battles that Moses actually mentions to the children of Israel before they enter this promised land, two battles they're going to have to face. If they want to give position to God and their past become a present, these are two battles. First battle is the battle of pride. The battle of pride. Pride is simply a pleasure or satisfaction that we get from our own achievements. It's something that we do that we go, oh, this feels good because I did it. It's that satisfaction moment. Well, Moses warns them of this. And here's how Moses breaks it down to the children of Israel when it talks about this battle of pride. Deuteronomy 8, I'm going to read verses 10 through 14, and we're going to skip down and read verses 17 to 18. Moses says, when they, when they get there, he says, when you have eaten and are satisfied in this new promised land, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. Be careful you don't take God out of position failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, if we don't keep him in that position, when we eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and, are all, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery." You'll have all this good stuff, but when we have it, if we focus on it and we forget God, then we're going to get proud. And then our past is not going to be something that propels us to our future. Then it goes on to say this in verse 17. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today is it with my achievements is that the pride that I allow to step in the way of me actually learning from my past do I feel like I'm the one that's done it over Christmas we usually get some family games and this past Christmas we got a few games and just to give you an idea of me and games I like games with a little bit of strategy, but I don't like games where it's like strategy to the nth degree. I've never played this Settlers of Catan. Anybody ever played Settlers of Catan? It just sounds like there's a lot of strategy. I don't even want nothing to do with that. I like simple games like Yahtzee and stuff, where I can roll the dice and I add up numbers, and my brain likes to work like that. Well, we got a pretty simple dice rolling game. It's called Quicks. Is that right, baby? Quicks? Quicks. Pretty simple game, a little bit of strategy. But just enough strategy. But what I really love is when you roll the dice, there are certain different things you have to add dice up, you have to make decisions, and that's just how my brain works. I find myself getting frustrated at games like this. Not with the game, but with the people of the game. I was playing with my family. I found myself getting a little hot and frustrated because here's, what, here's some of my thoughts that go through my head. We just explained these rules. You mean to tell me you don't remember that you got to take this dice and do this, call that out and do this. Come on, man. I got it. Why don't you have it? Or what in the world is taking you so long to add up these numbers? I mean, we've been in school forever. Like, can you add up the numbers, make a decision and move on? Like, let's keep the game going. 
Those are very prideful statements because what it's saying is, is that I've arrived and achieved something that you haven't, and I'm better than you at adding these numbers up. And I'm going to let you know, and I'm going to get so mad and frustrated to let you know that I'm better than you. That's that pride welling up. We all have moments, if we really stop and survey, where pride wells up in us. It's easy for us to look at pride and think of the stereotype of pride of just someone being all blown up, their world, they got the great everything, they got the great house, the great car, they walk around like they're better than everybody. It's easy for us to see that blatant like achievement and ability because of their achievement and ability, they just think they're somebody. It's easy for us to see that and to miss out, and that is the form of pride, but it's easy for us to miss out and really dig deeper. What if pride also was us not being willing to sit in our insecurities and our pain and wrestle with them until we learn something. What I mean by that is I've had moments where people have come up to me and said, hey, you did this and it created this problem, or hey, you need to work on this. Kind of a corrective moment. If you're married, you probably have had a few of those. I know I have. But as loving as my wife does it, and not attacking and not putting me down, it does not feel good. And we all wrestle with insecurities because in those moments, it feels like that person has taken a knife and just raked across that insecurity. And when my insecurity is raked off, you know what I want to do? I want to run away and achieve something else that's pleasurable and fun that makes me feel good. I, will, I got this achievement that I want to lean into because that makes me feel better. That's the pride. The pride of, I want to get this achievement, and I don't want to sit in what doesn't feel good. I want to go to something that feels better than what I just felt or what brings up my past, and I'm not willing to sit and learn something and actually move forward. I think another form of pride is whenever we look to only our perspective, the way we see things, the way we think about things. And sometimes it might be that our perspective allows all the negative of our past to drown out anything that could be positive. And we don't want to hear God, and we don't want to hear other people give us encouragement that have been through the same thing. It's my perspective. That is a way that we walk in pride. Psalm 123, when you read the last verse, it actually tells us a companion of pride. It says that a companion of someone who is proud is also someone who has contempt. Here's what contempt is. Contempt is the feeling that a person or a thing is beneath consideration, worthless, or deserving scorn. Have we ever looked at our past and said, that moment was so bad, it's beneath my consideration, I don't even want to look at it anymore? Or, better yet, if we've been hurt by someone, you ever had a moment where you thought, man, they're the worst thing on the earth. I would never do what they did. Gosh, they're so horrible. The way they did me, I would never do that to somebody else. That's pride. Because we're looking at somebody and saying, they don't, they're not even worth the consideration of anything. Well, I love 1 Corinthians because it gives us a little bit of a reality check when talking about if people are really worthless and we, we having pride thinking that we're better than somebody else for whatever reason. Here's what 1 Corinthians says, chapter 1. I'm going to read verse 26 through 31. Brothers and sisters, that's everybody in here, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. 
God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. So that no one, that's everybody, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God, which is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. How are we boasting in ourselves? How are we doing with the battle of pride? Are we giving God that position so that we actually can look at our past and have a present that we can learn from? Or is pride keeping us from allowing our past to be a present and it's still holding us back because we're not willing to sit in it and learn and give God space? We don't just have to battle with pride. We also have to battle with righteousness. Righteousness is the right standing. Righteousness is just doing right. And when I'm talking about the battle of righteousness, I'm talking about a righteousness that is of God or a righteousness that is of self. Here's how Moses explains it to the children of Israel. Remember, this promised land is for you, but will you obey God? And he talks about a righteousness of self that could get in the way and be a stumbling block, but it's something they're going to have to battle. Deuteronomy 9, verses 4 through 6. Do not think in your heart, after the Lord, your God has cast them out before you. So don't think this in your heart. After you've, after you've wiped out all these people and these people are out of their land and you now have their land, don't say, because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. It is not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you go in to possess their land but because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God drives them out from before you, and that he may fulfill the word which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Therefore, understand that the Lord your God has not given you this good land to possess, again, in case we didn't get it, because of your righteousness, for you are a stiff-necked people. Here's what stiff-necked mean. It means rebellious and stubborn. Here's a little visual picture that came to my mind. You ever hurt your neck or strained it to where to turn and look at something, you had to do this and move your whole body? When I think of stiff neck and being rebellious and stubborn, I think of normally I can look over at something and just turn my head, and my body don't have to go that way. I can decide if I want to walk to that tree or not or turn to that tree, but ultimately I look and I get to make a decision. If my neck is stiff, the I got to look by turning my entire body towards that. Well, this is what they were doing. They were choosing their way, and when they would see something that didn't line up with God and His commandments and His best, they were actually taking their entire being, and they were going after that. That's what I like to think about with stiff neck, that rebellious, that turning my whole body and going after something that doesn't, is not God's best, and is not something that God wants me to be a part of. Now, when we think of righteousness, Righteousness, when we do it from a selfish standpoint, righteousness is usually defined by rewards, meaning if I do this, then I'll get this. But that's not the intent of righteousness. The intent is not for righteousness to be defined by rewards. Righteousness instead is intended to be, be based off of the enrichment, the satisfaction, and the endurance of a life that is led by obedience or a life that is willing to be obedient to God. A satisfaction, an enrichment, just from being obedient to God. It's the difference between 
feeling like we deserve something and being motivated by something. When my, my kids like to play video games, like a lot of kids these days, and there are times where my kids will wake up and they will do all their chores and without being asked, they'll do everything because they want to play video games. There's a motivation there. That is very different for me than when they come up and say, can I play video games? And I have to say, or my wife has to say, did you do your chores? No. Well, you can't play video games. You can't get the reward until you do the chores. The difference for me is that one says, oh, I deserve video games, so I'll just do whatever. The other one says, you know what? If I learn the discipline of cleaning up after myself, then there'll be something I can do after that. If I learn work hard and then I can play hard, well, that's a principle that we can actually live by that helps us later on in life. If we show up to work and go, well, I guess I'll do this just to get the money, that's different than going, you know what? I'm going to put all my effort and energy to this and motivate it, and I know that there'll be money and I can pay all my bills and my rent. Self-righteousness says, you know what? I deserve it. That's what Moses was telling them. Don't get in that land and think that all these people... You ran them out of town and killed them all and got this land just because you're good and righteous. How many times have we said, God, I've been tithing. God, I, I go to church. God, I'm involved and I serve. God, I'm really nice to people. I deserve this. How many times have we done that? Or do we just get motivated by the goodness that God has for our life and we walk in the righteousness and things that he has for us? Here's some forms of righteousness. If we have a propensity to judge others for their actions, meaning that we don't know them, we hadn't talked to them, but we see them do something and we label them, you're this because you did this without ever knowing them, then we've judged them. If we, if we have a propensity to look at other people and judge them, then maybe we're righteous. Another way is if we hold someone to a higher standard than we're actually holding ourselves to. If I stand up here and just told you, you need to live your life like this, 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 and this, and then my life was trash, that's self-righteousness. If I, if I come out here and tell you, you need to work on your marriage, men, y'all need to love your wife, and I'm not doing that, that's just me calling you to do something higher than what I'm even asking myself. Do you know Jesus got the most irritated and had the most confrontation with the religious people, the religious leaders, the Pharisees and all them, because of that one thing. They held everybody else to this high standard but weren't willing to live to that same standard. That's being self-righteous. The last uh, thing that we can see is self-righteous, the last little uh, kind of tick that we can go, man, you know what? I might be operating self-righteous. Unforgiveness. If we are unwilling to forgive, that is a very righteous, self-righteous stance. The Bible is very clear. Forgiveness is not a, hey, if you want to do it, do it. It might work out. Forgiveness is a commandment. There are scriptures that are very strong about forgiveness. It says, how can we expect God, our Heavenly Father, to forgive us if I'm not willing to forgive you. It also says, when you bring your gift to the altar to honor God and give him praise and worship him, if you have something against your brother or sister, you go get that right. You leave your gift at the altar because don't come to me until we've come to each other. If we have hurt and pain from our past and we, are, we have unforgiveness and we're not walking in forgiveness, that is a form of self-righteousness and our past is, past is going to continue to hold us back now, I love in Deuteronomy 6 because Moses tells, tells them the righteousness not to have, but in Deuteronomy 6, he explains what God's righteousness looks like. It says this, verses 24 through 25. 
The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive, as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. When I see that, I don't see righteousness being in a reward from obedience. I see righteousness being actually in obedience. My willingness, my willingness to believe there's a God in heaven who has laid out guidelines for me, not as rules to rein me in and hold me down, but guidelines so I can experience what life was truly intended to be. The life that the Bible talks about, a life to the full in every area of my life. Not that things aren't going to go wrong, but that I get to feel the refreshing and the fullness and the joy and the peace that only God can give, but there's a guideline for that. Our past is always going to be there around every corner. There's always going to be a yesterday. What we do with that and how we move forward in that and how we allow that to help us for the next steps in life, the next days to come, that is dependent on the position we give God. That past is not going to become beneficial until we really wrestle in our heart with pride and righteousness and decide whether or not we're going to give God a space. Now, I love Moses because Moses is this Old Testament type and shadow of what really Jesus did for us. And Moses... In Deuteronomy chapter 9, he's talking to the children of Israel. In verses 7 to the end of chapter 9, he reminds them of three times. He reminds them of three times where he stands on their behalf between them and God, and he cries out to God on their behalf. He stands as a median kind of bridge for them to God. And it's all around keeping that relationship. He reminds them that, hey, remember when I went up on the mountain? And I was up there getting the laws, the Ten Commandments from God. When I was up on that mountain, I fasted and I prayed 40 days on behalf of you. I was trying to get God's heart for the guidelines he wanted to give us so that we could have relationship with him. So there could be this covenant. 40 days I fasted and prayed to get those for you. And then he said, when I came down from the mountain, y'all had gotten bored, frustrated, and felt lost. And you built this golden idol to worship and he said, I was mad at you. Not only was I mad, Moses said, but God was mad. God was ready to wipe the Israelites off, off the face of the earth. He said, look, Moses, those people are trifling, messed up. They don't want to follow me. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to wipe them out, and I'm going to let you become this great nation. I'm just going to go through you, Moses. I'm tired of them. But Moses said, remember when that happened? I went back up, and I laid prostrate on my face before God. 40 days and 40 nights I fasted and I prayed on your behalf. God was ready to wipe you out, but I knew that I had to stand in the gap for the relationship. And God turned his heart back to you. And then he reminded them the last time. He said, hey, remember when God said, here's the land, you can take it? And y'all rebelled, you stiff-necked people? Y'all rebelled and went your own way? He said, I fasted and I prayed. And I laid on my face because God was done with you. I laid on my face and I stood in the gap for you because I cared about you. That sounds a little bit like what Jesus did for all of us. I love what 
2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, it says, God made him, talking about Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you will, stand to your feet with me. So that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. When we read Deuteronomy chapter 6, and Moses laid out what righteousness was. Remember, he said true righteousness is not a reward from following God, but it's actually in following God. It's in the law. It's in the commandments. Very interesting that Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish or get rid of the law. I came to fulfill the law. And then we read 2 Corinthians that says righteousness is in Christ. Old Testament, righteousness in the law. Jesus fulfilled that law. Now our righteousness is found in the one who fulfilled the law. If you will, close your eyes with me. I just want you to take a moment and just look within yourself. Our past will never feel like it's worthwhile, will never be a present unless we give God some kind of position, a position of leadership. We all have life to lead. We all are going to walk out of here and look to tomorrow and the next day and the weeks to come. And I just have one question for you. I don't know what your life has been like to this point. But I do want to invite you that if you've never given God position and maybe your past has just been killing you, maybe the emotional baggage, the struggle, the hurt, the pain, the anxiety, the stress, maybe it's just been wearing you down. I'm here to tell you, it's not going to change overnight. But when we give God position, we'll begin to see things change. We'll begin to win the battles of pride. We'll begin to have victory in the battle of righteousness. If you're here today and you say, God, I need to give you position, whether that's for the first time, God, I've never given you position. I've been living my life as a, as a, a righteousness checklist. I do this and do this, but I've never given you position position by having a relationship with you if you're there or maybe you have a relationship already but you realize as you reflect there are areas where you haven't given God position if that's you and you just want to give God position for the first time or just in an area I just want you to raise your hand up and just say God I need your position I see your hands you can put them down once you've raised them this is just to let God know God I hear you you're talking to me you can put it down I'm going to pray, and I want you to repeat this prayer after me. And I think it's important. Our words are very powerful. So I think it's important that we hear ourselves say this prayer. So when you say this after me, just pray it loud. Say, God, I love you. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Not only to die, but to be raised from the dead. I choose that because that is how I give you position in my life. No longer will pride beat me down. No longer will righteousness hold me back. But I'll move forward and discover the present of my past through the position God has. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all give God a hand clap. 
Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we encourage you to spread the word. Share with your friends and family on social media and make sure you subscribe to hear a new message every week. Really love the message? Well, we want to hear from you. Make sure to leave us a review below. Want more Freedom House content? Follow us on Instagram at Freedom House and subscribe to Freedom House Church on YouTube. We hope you are equipped to experience all that God has for you this week, and we'll see you for our next Freedom House Church weekend message.